0: Hi, this is Jesslyn from Wildish Wise Women. The latest episode of the podcast is up, and I am interviewing Paula Pavlova. She is sharing with us her personal experience with endometriosis in addition to all of the research that she's been doing in an effort to heal herself and, frankly, just to get a diagnosis. In the early days, as you'll hear, it took her a really long time to even get diagnosed, and some recent treatment and um, surgical procedures that she's undergone have created some relief, but it's still a condition that will continue, and she will continue to educate herself and continue to speak to her doctors and do the best advocacy she can on her end. So please give it a listen, and you'll see I mentioned in the podcast, but I'll just say again that this is just her personal experience. She's sharing all the wisdom with us that she's accumulated over the years, but just please know that neither one of us can give medical advice But we do encourage you to start here, get some information, and if you think that any of this applies to you, that you reach out to the resources that she's provided, Uh, call your doctor. I think that Paula's even open to kind of tell you which direction to go if you need some support on her end. As you'll hear, there's not a lot of resources out there in terms of doctors that can diagnose, but they are there, and the education and awareness is increasing, thankfully. You'll also notice there's a little bit of kind of construction noise and different interference, and it's just sort of city noise that I couldn't really avoid, but I will say it's well worth listening to, even through the couple different sirens and some construction noise going on. Uh, Still awesome, awesome information that I'm grateful to Paula for taking the time to share with us. The Patreon is a place that you can join to support this podcast and more, You can find us at patreon.com slash wildishwisewomen. This month, we did a little workshop on how to create sacred space. We just had our new moon circle, and the next one is coming up on October 27th. So if you're looking for a virtual community to connect into the circles and education components are just an extension of these podcasts that I've been doing the past two and a half years. And I would really love for you to join us. The podcast will always stay free, but I appreciate any support that you can throw our way just to create even better content. Uh, Just $5 a month supports the podcast, $15 and up gets you access to some of the circles and the education components that are happening in our community. So thanks so much for listening. And without further ado, here is Paula and all of her passionate wisdom. Today, I am speaking with Paula Pavlova. She is a wellness entrepreneur based in the Bay Area. Paula is a first-generation American and birthright citizen, and her unique upbringing and early exposure to generational trauma has led her to pursue a career in helping people find personal transformation through spiritual alignment. Paula is the co-founder of Gaia Collective and Moonbox, a mindfulness-based subscription box. She's also an endometriosis warrior and advocate dedicated to elevating the public discourse about this quote-unquote mysterious disease that affects hundreds of millions of women worldwide. And today, that's what she's going to talk to us about. She's going to talk to us about endometriosis and healing, both from a personal and global level.
1: Welcome, Paula. Hi, thank you so much for having me.
0: Yeah, I'm super stoked to chat with you. So the reason that I asked Paula to be on the podcast is because she has a personal experience with endometriosis and has recently been sharing a lot about her story. And I really wanted to get that out there for more people to hear Um, because she said, you know, it's a mysterious disease that not everyone gets diagnosed with. Let's just take a moment to connect wherever you are. If it's safe to close your eyes, do so. If you can get a little taller in the body, feel where you're sitting, and take a couple of deep breaths and inhale through the nose. And exhale out the mouth or nose. Just a couple more breaths like that. May each woman who needs the wisdom of this call find her way here. May we speak from the heart and create a wave of peace that radiates out on a global level. May each woman remember her sacred nature and feel the value of her presence in this world. Paula, what's your favorite thing about being a woman?
1: Oh, mm the deep, deep, deep ability to feel on so many levels that sometimes it's so much that you don't even understand it until (laughs) maybe even years later, um, that Mm. intuitive force. Yeah, beautiful.
0: Well, tell us a little bit about your label of wellness entrepreneur before we launch into our topic, just so that we know who you are and what you're doing in the world of wellness.
1: Yes. Um, So wellness entrepreneur is kind of this all encompassing term that I've only recently started to put myself um, under. And the reason being is there's just so much that I do that contributes to the world of wellness. Mm -hmm. And the entrepreneurial piece is a lot of it I do on my own. Uh, Most of it, all of it pretty much Um, in collaboration with people, but um, in the sense where I do set my own Rules and my own time frame and um, my own hours and my own rates. And I think that that is something that is really empowering. And especially um, nowadays, when we're kind of breaking the mold of the old ways of falling into a specific career and mm-hmm. or a specific job title and sticking with that job title your whole life, we actually all have an opportunity to own our own business and the internet has given us that possibility. So I'm super grateful for it Um, and how it came about right as I was coming into the career world has allowed me so much flexibility. Mm -hmm. And um, I really think everybody could be an entrepreneur. (laughs) So um, my particular field is wellness. So I teach yoga and I teach meditation. Um, I do wellness consulting for companies and mostly focus on just working with people on a one-on-one basis and how that individual decision to own your own alignment with spirit can ripple out into a collective force for change. Mm
0: -hmm. And so
1: that's really my main mission. My main goal is inspiring people to remember how um, powerful they, they really are and how we have so much capacity to bring about conversations on challenging subjects and use those challenging subjects as a way to actually understand ourselves and each other better with compassion. And I think that that's the piece that's always missing is compassion. We always think um, that our experience is so unique when the the truth of the matter is um, everyone's experience is incredibly unique. And if we look at that from a holistic perspective and how owning your story and owning your voice and owning who you are actually can be a force for good for everybody. Mm -hmm. Um, We can get pretty far. (laughs) It's beautiful. I've always called myself multi-passionate. I like Mm -hmm. the wellness entrepreneur though. That's nice. (laughs) I like multi-passionate. Yeah. And I I studied sociology in in my undergrad. Mm -hmm. So I um, knew that coming out of college, my, my focus was to help people and I really had a passion for yoga. So it started there. I started teaching yoga and I kept getting drawn to the same conversations over and over again, the same themes, the same points of philosophy in the lineage of yoga that just I see mirrored in our society today. And Mm -hmm. a lot of what I learned in my undergrad came together for me in the yoga room because you're working with people on a social level. Like it's not just for that one individual mat. It's for all the people that are in that room, and then all the people that are in their lives that benefit from them taking the time to move through a wellness practice, whether it be meditation, yoga, or even mindful eating, or just mindful conversations. mindfulness and wellness in general can be something that is an additive to every avenue of our lives and doesn't have to be something that fundamentally changes our interests or our roles. It can actually be something that adds to everything that we do.
0: I love that. It's so true because you can find a way to take whatever you already offer in the world and and throw in some yoga and mindfulness and meditation and
1: amplify it. Absolutely. Yeah. Yeah, that's cool.
0: Well, I'm really grateful for your voice on the topic of endometriosis. And I'd like to just start off with a little bit of information about it. Can you tell us about what it is
1: um, and, and how it
0: falls into the world of women's health?
1: Absolutely. So um, endometriosis is a disease of the endometrial lining of your uterus or where endometrial lining like tissue for some reason Mm -hmm. grows outside of the uterus. Mm -hmm. So there actually is no conclusive studies that explain why this happens or how this happens. Mm -hmm. Um, But what we do know is the end result is that tissue that seems like or looks like or acts like the tissue that belongs on the inside of the uterus somehow ends up outside of the uterus and creates lesions or scar tissue that are sticky and cause other organs to then stick to that and It can cause a lot more problems um, specifically with the appendix and the colon and all the other organs that are in the pelvis including Mm -hmm. the rectum and that's where a lot of people get the most pain so a lot of women will experience pain with bowel movements pain with digestion they'll get diagnosed with IBS or a variety of different things such as Crohn's that down the line later are actually caused by endometriosis lesions. Wow. Uh, yeah. Now let's just make sure we've
0: got the female anatomy uh, properly intact here. So you said the endometrium and the, that's the lining that would normally shed with each monthly cycle, right? Correct,
1: yes. So That's okay. the lining on the inside of your uterus. Yep. It builds up every month mm-hmm. and then as you have your cycle, it releases And with people who have endometriosis, for some reason, and like I said, mysterious—like it's Mm -hmm. not really that mysterious. (laughs) There's there's lots of theories, but no one's really studying it for reasons we'll get into. Uh Um, Well, there are people studying it, but not not quite as much as we would like. Of course, there's probably not enough money. (laughs) Exactly, definitely Mm -hmm. not enough money. And so, what happens is, for some reason, during the cycle, instead of it going down and out the way it's supposed to, it goes up through the fallopian tubes and for lack of a better word, sprays on all the, all the other organs and will mm. lodge itself in places. And that's what it caused the lesions. Those lesions are the same pain that women get, you know, cramping on the inside of the mm-hmm. uterus, but it's displaced. So you'll end up with pain in random weird places such as your abdomen or your hips or oh. for me, it's a lot of radiating pain down my legs.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: Um, so it's people don't really know how to classify it. And women don't really know how to explain it to their doctors because it comes with the period yet for some reason, it's sometimes will come around your ovulation. Sometimes it'll be totally random. Mm. Um, and for women, for all women with endometriosis, the way that the pain is experienced and expressed is completely different because we all have different vocabularies and pain thresholds and, um, life experiences that our brain makes decisions about as to how it's going to del out that pain. The pain actually stems from a neurological decision to release pain. So a lot of women with endometriosis don't even experience pain ever mm. until they try to conceive and they have trouble. And then they go in laparoscopically to see what's going on. And they're like, Oh wow, you have endometriosis and yet they've never experienced a lick of pain their whole life. So it is a spectrum.
0: How interesting. Wow. Now, um, I realize I'll actually add this before the anyone starts listening, but of course everyone has to go visit their doctor, make sure that they talk with them about some of the stuff that we're discussing. We can't actually give medical advice, but we're really sharing this from a place of I know you want to get the word out and you want people to be listening and think, oh my gosh, I might have something like that and just get the conversation starting because it yeah. sounds like the medical doctors don't even Have enough information to really empower women to to figure out what's going on with their body
1: yes and actually the statistics are quite appalling there's Mm -hmm. only a hundred doctors in the united states who know how to properly diagnose endometriosis and excise endometriosis Mm -hmm. which is the only effective treatment for endometriosis yet there are still thousands upon thousands upon thousands of doctors Regularly, probably today, maybe not today because it's Sunday, but definitely (laughs) tomorrow, doing ablation surgeries on women. And those surgeries actually cause more harm than good. Wow. Uh, They can relieve temporarily pain from endometriosis, but it does not solve the problem and in fact causes more scar tissue down the line that can cause only more pain and will surely require for them to have multiple ablations and then eventually probably a hysterectomy. So
0: tell me if you, if you know or have a theory as to why there's only a hundred doctors in the U.S. that can properly diagnose and treat this effectively.
1: Well, I mean, I'm not a medical practitioner, so my theories are my own. I'm going to mm-hmm. go ahead and say that from the beginning. Um, my perspective is my own, and um, I hope that there is a lot to be done about this in the future, but I think that our medical system is quite disjointed, Um, I think that we have, um, a sick care system rather than a healthcare system, as Marianne Mm -hmm. Williamson so bravely said on the stage of the debates just a couple of nights ago. Mm -hmm. Um, and we see things in retrospect rather than, um, by looking at them from a preventative measure. And, um, a lot of the theories out there are showing or pointing signs to the fact that We have dioxins that women are being exposed to while they're pregnant. Um, We have a variety of different pesticides and chemicals and hormones and antibiotics that are triggering responses in people that lead to autoimmune disorders, endometriosis just being one of them. Mm -hmm. So there are many, many, many different, quote-unquote, mysterious chronic diseases that are not so mysterious and not so chronic when you break it down and you see the poison that is in our food. And the um, stuff that just trickles down to us, even if you try to avoid it, Mm -hmm. there's pretty much no way of avoiding it. And until we talk about that and until we actually do studies that I am without a shadow of a doubt sure will prove Mm -hmm. that it's causing all of these diseases, there is no way that we're going to have a proper health approach to this disease.
0: Wow. Did you say that it's considered an autoimmune disease?
1: It is considered in the category of autoimmune disease. Again, there's not enough um, studies to definitively prove that, but Mm -hmm. it is a situation where the body is attacking itself. So Mm -hmm. that is one of the hallmarks of autoimmune disorders. And it does have a tendency to get um, lumped in with a lot of autoimmune disorders. So women who have endometriosis are predisposed to diabetes they're predisposed to asthma to allergies to all sorts of weird crazy things Um, Mm -hmm. and that has happened to me over time Um, I've developed crazy allergies that I for the longest time did not even think were related to my endometriosis until I started to really dive deep into the subject on my own and read accounts from other women and read studies from doctors that have taken the time to dedicate themselves strictly to endometriosis and they say across the board, all their patients are seeing the same symptoms that other doctors, other gynecologists that are great doctors in their own right, but just haven't dedicated enough time to this to really understand how it's truly affecting women. Just don't see the connections. Like I can't tell you how many doctors have told me that my hip pain is completely irrelevant that my allergies are completely irrelevant, but like I know that it's relevant because I'm the one that's experiencing the symptoms and they always go hand in hand. And then when I talk to other women and they tell me the same thing, it's like the, the proof is in the pudding, right? Like I don't really right. need this to prove to me what my body is telling me.
0: Well, and we know that everything is connected, so it's quite. It, it isn't right. a good system that we have different doctors for all things, um, and not that one practitioner could know everything, but it would be a better system if we were able to be treated holistically from from a perspective of our whole. Whole body, all the systems, and you know, mind, Correct. body, spirit, all of that.
1: Yes, and it would be really helpful too if um, women's pain was more readily believed mm. and understood and yeah. properly questioned.
0: Yeah. So let's talk a little bit about that because the, the thought that was coming into my head is that I'm sure it's often dismissed because it, it it's, oh, well, it's your monthly curse and, and you're supposed to have some amount of discomfort and that's just normal and you have to suck it up and just handle it.
1: Right. So that's the narrative we've been told. That's um, what I was told. That's what many women are still told today. And the truth of the matter is pain with your period is not normal. Mm -hmm. I'm going to say that again because I really want people to hear it. (laughs) Pain with your period is not normal. It means that something is not right. It means that your diet is not right. Your exercise is not right. Your mental state is not right. Something, maybe not all of the above, but something needs to change. Mm -hmm. And when we go into the doctor and we tell them that we're having this pain and they tell you, okay, here's some birth control. Or I had one doctor tell me, when I said that, like, sometimes I have pain during my period, try a glass of wine. I mean, I've had the the most ridiculous things. Just relax, Paula, you'll be fine. (laughs) And, um, well, when you're throwing up and pooping at the same time uncontrollably from pain, (laughs) at that point, all the doctors are like, Oh, okay.
0: Oh, a glass of wine won't fix that. Hmm. What do we do next?
1: And you're like, Ugh. okay, well, this has been happening since before I even started my period. I started oh, experiencing wow. hip pain and pelvic pain and leg pain since mm. when I was nine years old. I remember that wow. was my first memory. And, and at that was, point, they probably say, oh, it's just growing pains. Yes. I was mm-hmm. told it was growing pains. Yeah. And that pain never let up. Mm. So either I'm still growing or um, <laughs> I don't know what. Um, I was also told that it was because I was weak. Um, wow. So, yeah, I didn't eat meat growing up. I mm-hmm. rejected meat from birth. Um not because anybody told me to, I just refused to eat it. Mm-hmm. And I think that on an intuitive level my body knew that it didn't want the hormones, it didn't want the antibiotics, it didn't want all the nasty stuff that's in our meat. Wow. And I rejected it. Mm-hmm. And yes, I was very thin, but I was strong. I mm-hmm. was a dancer from a young age. I could do three pirouettes in a row. I could leap across the room. I mean, I had a, a lot of muscle, I ate a lot of vegetables, I ate lots of yogurt, um, Bulgarian yogurt, because that's where my family is from. So it's sheep's milk, and not cow's milk. Um, but I did drink a lot, a lot, a lot of cow's milk. Mm. Looking back on my childhood, I'm pretty sure that the amount of cow's milk that I drank that was pumped full of hormones and antibiotics, if not Caused, but certainly contributed to my endometriosis. That, depending on how it is caused, may or may not, I may have already may or may not have already had it. Mm-hmm. I don't really think it was caused again because there's no research on it. We only began researching it in the 80s.
0: Okay, so you're saying we don't know if it's something that you're born with or you develop over time.
1: Yeah, we don't, we don't know. know that yet. We do know studies have proven that the antibiotics and the hormones don't help. Right, they right. do progress. Mm. Um, and they do make it worse and that when you remove that from the equation, it does get better. And then there's yeah. other things that when you do add to the equation, um, such as cherries mm. and other strong antioxidants, mm-hmm. um, pineapple, For there's a lot of different foods out there. Mm-hmm. They actually shrink it. Mm. Um, like really, really, really high quality red wine that doesn't have pesticides in it. That has, I, can't, I can never say this word properly, but resveratrol. <laughs> res- 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 Maybe someone will know what I'm talking about, (laughs) Uh, but it has the properties that can actually shrink, um, lesions. And so there there is our medicine and uh, by, by changing your diet, you can definitely help it. But what could really help it is if we had earlier diagnoses to where someone like me and most other women don't have to wait decades to figure it out. So for me, it took 15 years actually get an official diagnosis
0: Mm -hmm.
1: and the average is eight to 12 years for a diagnosis for most women from their first onset of symptoms
0: wow and that's so frustrating because that's years and years of you having pain and discomfort and and probably being told various things go here go there go to a gastroenterologist or yes Yes. Um, I don't know. What the- I have
1: actually never seen the same gynecologist twice up until this doctor. Wow. Because well, other than when I was a kid, when I was going to like the gynecologist that my mom took me to when it first started and I was like 13 was my first visit to the emergency room. And, um, then I started just seeing doctor after doctor after doctor pretty much. Um, until I was 22, I was in the, in the emergency room cause I was going to the emergency room about once a year cause the pain would get like significantly worse. All of a sudden, like it would be regular pain that I could deal with with painkillers. And then um, it would get so bad that I thought that something else might have been wrong with me. Or I was in a public place and someone would call an ambulance because they were worried about me. And mm. I end up there. And so I think it was, I was around 22 when a nurse told me the word endometriosis. She just asked me if I'd heard of it. She just said that word. She didn't suggest it. She said, oh, go talk to your gynecologist about it. And I said, lady, what do you think I've been doing? For this, for this time. <laughs> Yeah. Um, but then I went home and I Googled it and yeah. I had the symptoms and I was like, holy shit, that's what I have. Mm-hmm. I mean, it was just like clear as day right away. Wow. Yeah. So then I started going to the doctor and I said, I have endometriosis and all of them would look back at me and be like, well, have you had a lacroscopic surgery? And I would say no. And they'd be like, well, then you haven't officially been diagnosed. And I said, okay, well then you can't help me because I'm not going to let you have surgery on me who can't diagnose me before you open me up. And mm. that was the part that was the most frustrating was that, why would I let a surgeon have perform surgery on me who doesn't even admit to what I have when I know in my bones, in my body, it's what I have? So I just waited until I found the right doctor. And thank God I did because those doctors would have ablazed me. They would have just burned the top layer of my endometriosis and I would have developed more scar tissue down the line. Yeah.
0: So, talk a little bit about the treatment so that that folks can understand. You've you've said it a, a couple times here, but it sounds like one treatment is commonly used, but it's not helpful. And and what you recently had is really the only thing that works.
1: Correct. Yes. Yeah. So, um, I mean, not helpful. It is helpful. It 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 it, it is helpful in the sense where the it will term. relieve your pain in the short term. Okay. Yes. But it is a surefire guarantee to more long-term pain.
0: And that's the ablation you're talking about. Yes, Mm -hmm. that is the
1: ablation. So the best way that I've seen it described is if you have weeds in your garden Mm -hmm. and you go ahead and just rip the weeds off from the top, Mm -hmm. those weeds are going to come back and they're probably going to come back stronger. Yes. (laughs) But if you go into your garden and you actually take a, a shovel and you go down into the root of that weed and you pull out the root, that weed is gone. And okay. if you continue to maintain the health of your garden, then you won't get weeds again. Okay. Right. That being said, weeds are still something that exists in gardens. Mm-hmm. And so if there's a chance that it could come back. So just because you got ex- your endometriosis excised doesn't mean that you don't have the disease. I still have endometriosis, right. but the roots of the lesions have been removed so all that, those years, 15 years worth of scar tissue that's built up with every single one of my cycles, so each month more scar tissue builds up, mm-hmm. is now removed from my body.
0: Yeah, can you talk a little bit about the process and whatever you feel comfortable sharing? It Absolutely. sounds like it was pretty intense and not really that long ago.
1: No, so it was um, actually tomorrow will be the six-week anniversary of my <laughs> surgery. Okay, yeah. Um, so uh, that's the official mark where you're supposed to be like doing good so it's an exciting day oh wonderful um,
0: oh that's good timing for us here yeah, yeah now it, folks won't hear
1: it for a little bit but still we'll celebrate now congratulations yeah, yeah. that's great thank great you. to reach this thank you so the surgery entails um and this they do the same thing for an ablation it's usually a laparoscopic surgery so mm-hmm. they go in from the sides of your waist and it's just a tiny little incision, like a millimeter. And then they go in through your, through your, belly button and then up like right below your pubic bone, at least they did for me. Mm-hmm. Um, and my particular surgery was a robotic assisted laparoscopic excision. So mm-hmm. it's a little bit different because it's got the robotic assisted aspect to it, which very few surgeons do.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: Um, it does allow for faster recovery. So I'm very lucky in that department as well. Um, And it can only be performed in certain cases, depending on what the condition looks like. If I had bigger fibroids, for example, they would not have been able to do the robotic assisted and they would have had to make some bigger incisions. Okay. I luckily did not have any large fibroids. I only had endometriosis all over my entire pelvis. That's (laughs) all. (laughs) That's all. So all my organs were stuck together. My uterus was flipped backwards and was attached to my pelvic floor, along with all my other organs that were stuck together. So whoa, all of my organs were attached, mm-hmm. uh, and they shouldn't be. And they were all stuck to the bottom of my pelvic floor, particularly my rectum. So they had to go in from all the little incisions, and with the robotic-assisted lacroscopy, take apart all the organs, mm-hmm. shave off all the scar tissue, and then inside your body, they compress the scar tissue to a liquid and then pull it out through the tubes on the sides of your body. Holy crap. Yeah. Pretty like sci-fi. <laughs> um, yeah. So they said that nothing was in the right place. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Their words, not mine. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. So they put Everything back where it belonged. Um, including like my, I don't know what the right term for it is, but you have, um, I should have pulled my medical documents out so I could have read it to you. But you have a ligament that connects your uterus to your sacrum. So okay. that was like completely twisted, which explains all my hip pain.
0: Oh, my goodness. Yeah.
1: Yeah. And then you have another line that goes from your bladder, um, like, you know, to your bladder, through your bladder, out your ureth- urethra. So that mm-hmm. line is not correct. Mm. So My all my everything was just going to the left and then had to veer back to the right. Um, So just like an extra long journey for everything, uh, which explains a lot of the pain. And then particularly with the rectum explains a lot of the pain with bowel movements. I, in my most recent episode prior to my surgery, actually fainted while on the toilet uh, and (sighs) came to on the floor a couple hours later. Um, So I fell asleep on the floor and in that had also lost control of my bowels. So it was a not pretty scene (laughs) to say the least. Sure. really grateful that I live with somebody that has been incredibly supportive and he was able to help me up off the floor and help clean me up and, um, prepare me for the next spell of pain that would last hours upon hours upon hours and require me Mm. to miss my work. And, Mm. um, you know, this isn't the first time that's happened. So there's, Mm -hmm. you know, been more instances that I can count where this has affected my work. Um, a vacation, uh, someone's wedding, someone, you know, people that matter to me where I am unable to show up because wow. of this disease. So um, I'm really, you know, passionate about sharing all this despite the fact that it's, you know, it's not fun to mm-hmm. tell people that I landed in my own shit. Yeah. But, um, I think it's important because mm-hmm. there's no reason why I should have had to have gotten to that point. There's no reason mm-hmm. why. It took 15 years for me to meet this doctor who on the first time after seeing me, after me waiting a year to see her because she specializes in endometriosis, that's how long it takes to see somebody who specializes in endometriosis. After me waiting this long and on the first time she saw me without even cutting me open, just looking at me with her, with everything that every other doctor looked at me with, ultrasounds, everything, was able to see the lesions and say, yes, you have endometriosis without cutting me open. Like, that's crazy that it took that long. Yeah. And the re- I looked at her and I said, how come no other doctor has told me that? Because at first I was like, this is too good to be true. She's fine. She's admitting this like, oh yeah. my God, I finally found a doctor who is willing to speak to me about this on like a, you know, a real human level. And she said, well, they don't know what they're looking at. And I was mm-hmm. like, what do you mean? They don't know what they're looking at. She goes, endometriosis lesions are clear. You have to actually light them up with fluorescent light in order to see them. So that's oh what she's different. And she actually sent a camera up my body, a $3,000 camera that's only used once, up my body and recorded the entire video, put the fluorescence on it, and then pulled it out and showed me the video of all of the lesions that actually, when the light isn't on, are not visible. When you turn the light on, all of a sudden are everywhere.
0: Whoa. So it's not like a mysterious disease. It's almost an invisible disease.
1: (laughs) Yes. Yes, and that's wow. how a lot of people describe it and not only is it invisible in the sense where like most doctors don't know what they're looking at. Yeah. Most people when they see me, even right now while I'm uh, in yes. pain today, yes. are like, "Yeah, you, you look fine. You, you look, look great." You look well. Yeah, you look well, and I do look well. I like I want to be well. I can't mm-hmm. live my life with a frown constantly even though I'm in perpetual pain. Like I mm-hmm. want to have a smile on my face and I want to live my life and even though I have to be following certain rules like five days out of the week on the weekends. Like I do want to treat myself to a dessert once in a while, or I do enjoy a good steak. I mean, as a child, I avoided it, but like now that I know why I was avoiding it Mm -hmm. and I am a meat eater, like I feel that it's completely okay with, I'm taking precaution to make sure that my meat is ethically sourced and doesn't have, um, antibiotics and hormones and all that stuff in it and most importantly lived a healthy happy life I think that's the part that we're not talking about enough
0: like mm.
1: we're eating meat that has, is living its entire life and in, pain. Fear and, yeah. in pain and fear and we're swallowing that pain and fear and what do we expect is going to happen
0: yeah wow that's so much to absorb thank you for sharing I really appreciate it I'm, I'm more than happy
1: to share.
0: <laughs> yeah, I'm so grateful that you got where you are today. Um, six weeks post surgery, um, you know what? Are, what's changed? Are you Are you feeling like a different person? Like everything's in in the right place? or Are there still mm. challenges? Are you still still having struggles?
1: There is still struggle. I mean, yeah. Um, yeah so, like I said the disease is invisible in the sense where people on the outside think that you're fine and it's the same thing post-surgery mm-hmm. um so six weeks is the mark that the doctors gave me that I'm supposed to feel 100 percent better but most patients I've talked to who have gone through what I've gone through have said that a year is how long it took for them to feel normal so okay. I'm not I'm not uh, subscribing myself to any time frame I'm taking it day by day it's fair But the truth is my insides are still healing. Like, Mm -hmm. you know, while the external excisions were small, what they did on the inside was quite deep. huge. Yeah. Um, Mm. So all of my organs are still figuring it out. Like, Mm -hmm. um, I'm still doing bladder installments once a week because while they removed the endometriosis from the outside of all my organs, there's still endometriosis on the inside of my bladder and on the inside of my uterus. So once a week, they're shooting up um, basically like a cocktail of drugs. It's supposed to calm down the pain cells, um, mm-hmm. give me more freedom peeing. Because um, when I went in for my first bladder installment, they um, asked me to go to the restroom, I go to the restroom, I come back out, and they're like, Okay, your bladder should be empty. And then they put the catheter in, and they're like, Oh, your bladder is not empty. And I was like, Oh, all right, well, it's empty. And she's like, Okay, you're gonna have to cough a little bit. So I start coughing. And she's like, Holy moly, you're peeing so much. And I was like, I didn't even feel that there was pee in there. Mm. I ended up peeing two cc's or 200 cc's full of urine, which is essentially the size of a flask. Which Um, is
0: after already going, thinking that you had emptied your bladder. Wow. Exactly.
1: So in that, we discovered that I haven't been fully emptying my bladder almost ever. Um, I thought it was normal to be peeing four to five times in the middle of the night, and it's certainly not.
0: Not Um, at your age, I don't
1: think. Nope. Um, and that's been my normal, yeah. that's been my whole life. Oh, I just, wow. I never even questioned it, to be honest. Mm-hmm, I never even mm-hmm. put peeing in the in the category of problems that I have due to endometriosis. Yeah. Um, so that, that's been a strange discovery. And so now I'm doing these installments and I'm going to do them for the next six weeks. So it'll okay. be, it'll be a little bit longer. Um, it's pretty invasive. The part that like I am now the most frustrated about, honestly, is the amount of money that I've had to spend to figure this out. Mm -hmm. Um, And what's even more frustrating about it is to think of all the people out there, one in 10 women who cannot afford what I just did. And that gets back to why ablations are done so frequently. Ablations are much cheaper um, and insurance will cover the majority of it. Um, My excision surgery without insurance would have been $90,000. That's Mm. without the testing, without the MRIs, without the, all the other stuff that would have been thousand yeah. dollars, just the surgery itself. Wow. Um, and then every time I go in, I pay an eighty dollars copay because it's a specialist, right? And this is my only doctor. In my mm-hmm. eyes, this is my general practitioner. In my eyes, this is somebody that is the only person who has ever given me proper answers and has essentially given me my life back. Yeah. Uh, so yes, I am doing a whole lot better, and. I don't want to only talk about the negative. The positive is, like, immediately after the surgery, my allergies decreased. Immediately. Wow. I was blowing my nose for, like, an hour every morning. That uh-huh. was just my normal. Uh-huh. I, now it's not the case unless I, eat a, unless I eat something I'm not supposed to. Yeah. Um, which Usually is cheese. Like, going go to say dairy. <laughs> yeah. Usually cheese. Like, uh-huh. if I go out to eat and I try to order something that works for me and somehow, I, like, cheese ends up on my plate, I'm like, I'm not going to send it back. I'm going to yeah. pick around it. And then I'll blow my nose a little bit in the morning and it's just one of those, like, I, it's clear as day now what's triggering it. Now Mm -hmm. that I had that kind of moment of removing it, especially the week after my surgery where I was like pretty much just laying on the couch drinking smoothies because I couldn't get up. Mm -hmm. Um, and then the other thing is definitely, um, the pressure in my abdomen is Mm. significantly less and I noticed this a little bit when I quit coffee about a year ago. Uh, coffee is a huge trigger for endometriosis. For those of you guys out there who might be like, oh, I might have this. Try mm-hmm. cutting coffee out first. Um, I immediately noticed that when I made that decision. Like I had a dull pain constantly that I, was, I, I wasn't even aware of until yeah. I, it was gone. I was like, oh, this, yeah. is, what it, this is normal. Um, it's kind of amazing what we put up with. Yes. Yes. That is the biggest thing I've noticed. Like so many things that I didn't even think were associated all of a sudden got better. And I was like, Whoa, uh, that's a huge win. So yeah. I mean, the the part that I want to bring the most awareness to is a, if you are experiencing any pain during your, your period, it's not normal. There Mm -hmm. is something that needs to be addressed, even if it's just a minor, like hormonal adjustment. And there's a woman named uh, Dr. Laura Bryden who has a book called the period repair manual Mm -hmm. pretty much everything that you need to know about repairing your period and also woman code which a lot of people oh yeah I've heard of that one yeah a lot of people talk about that one um all of the advice that they give is super helpful and information that we should be taught before we even start our cycles
0: (laughs) A hundred percent. Yeah. I mean, there's so, that's why I kind of said, let's, you know, make sure people know what the endometrium is. Cause I realized that there are still women and this is not a judgment. It's just a, a fact that don't know about their cycle and about their reproductive system in general. Yeah.
1: It's certainly not a judgment on the individual. It's a judgment on our society Correct. because the reason yes. why we don't have this education is because of Religious laws that stop us from having proper sexual education, and the female reproductive system is a part of that. The female arousal system is also a part of that. A lot of scar tissue builds up because of sex before a woman is actually prepared, like fully lubricated and ready to receive sex, mm. and that scar tissue can get built up in the body. And that can lead to pain. So you might not have endometriosis. You might just have been having bad sex. Wow. The importance of foreplay. It might literally save you a lot of yes. pain. Yes. Oh, I'm 100% serious. Wow. And I think that these conversations need to be out there. There's a great um, account out there just you know, giving a shout out to um, a fellow wellness educator. It's mm-hmm. called Cervical Wellness. She talks oh, nice. a lot about HPV and yeah, a lot I about like cervical it. dysplasia and all these things that are caused largely by not lack of education around our reproductive organs.
0: Yeah, well, and if you think this is just a, such a small thing, but I'm thinking even the commercials for, for women on their period, they show you blue liquid because what we're afraid of a little blood.
1: <laughs> yeah, and I they guess. show you all these women double over in pain as if it's normal. Yes, that's exactly. not normal. Mm-hmm. Like a woman on her period is the most powerful. A woman on her period mm. is the most intuitive. A woman on her period is a creative force. A woman on her period is somebody who is literally living and breathing and expressing the very essence of what it is, what creates life. And it's a beautiful thing. And if we could turn our respect towards it, then I truly believe that the overall ripple that that would affect our entire humanity. Nice. I love it.
0: Well, gosh, we could end on that, but I'm not going to because I want to go into one more thing, but that
1: was super powerful.
0: <laughs> um, I know you touched on it and and we chatted briefly before the interview began about it, but I just um, please address if you can. Just this concept of—I mean—you've you, said this is a great privilege that you had—the the finances, the uh, access, the ability to—you know—to get to this doctor that could finally diagnose you, to be able to do the surgery. Um, but there's so many women, and I'm guessing that the numbers are pretty high for women of color that aren't getting diagnosed, that aren't getting treated.
1: Yes, um, particularly for women of color, they are getting dismissed significantly more than white women, particularly. And for a long time, actually, this was referred to as a white woman's disease.
0: Mm.
1: And um, that couldn't be further from the truth. There is nothing that stops any kind of race from experiencing this disease. And it affects absolutely all women, regardless of the color of their skin. And on a socioeconomic level, women of color happen to have less access to healthcare, which puts them in a category where they're getting much less frequently diagnosed. Mm-hmm. And so this is actually an error in our data and an error, a huge, a vast, vast error in the way that people are interpreting that data, um, to even consider that it might be something that it affects only certain women. Yeah. It's just, it's, it's silly. Um, and we, we need to address this on a larger scale, like women in general, um, are not getting the care that we deserve. It shouldn't cost $80 to go see a gynecologist, a specialist gynecologist. It should be considered a regular copay. It's not a special condition to be a woman. And I think that that is the first thing that needs to change. Or maybe we just need to change the whole system. There shouldn't be copays altogether. That's my personal opinion. But I mean, the, the fact of the matter is it's, no, there's not enough access to this care and you shouldn't have to have financial means in order to receive the care. Um, you shouldn't have to cry for decades in order for someone to believe you. This is something that we should be educated educating women about before they have their periods. And doctors should be very aware to ask the right questions. Like, do you have pain when you have bowel movements?
0: Mm-hmm.
1: Do you have pain? Um, when you have sex, Do you have pain when you ovulate? Do you have pain other times of the month that are not related to your period? And they actually need to encourage their patients to create pain logs that fully give an image of when the pain comes and goes and how it relates to the full cycle. Because from that image, we could actually get so much more information. And there are tons of um, innovations out there, like there's a company here in Silicon Valley that's creating a tampon that collects the data of your blood and actually tests it for a variety of different, oh, um, that's cool stuff. Yeah. So there is things that are, that are, there that, that are, that are coming out. Mm-hmm. There are things that are coming out, um, that can be helpful in, in diagnosing, but what we really need is prevention. What we really need is people listening to all kinds of women, regardless of their socioeconomic status, their race, or whether they can afford the care or not. Um, And I think that that might be a reason why a lot of people from lower socioeconomic statuses are getting dismissed because doctors might know, okay, yeah, this surgery um, is is a possibility for them, but they're not going to want to do it because they can't afford it. And that Mm -hmm. that shouldn't be a reason for not giving treatment. Um, It just shouldn't be. And then on top of that, the amount of birth control that's just doled out as a Like pers- candy. Like candy that causes so many more issues yes. um, and also masks the issues. So, mm. for me, for years, and for many women I know who experience pain who have, haven't been told they have endometriosis, but probably do because it's one in 10, right? They're told by their doctors if your periods are so painful, then just skip the placebo pills and just. And don't have keep, your period altogether. Don't have your period altogether. Problem yeah. solved. Wow. Well, <laughs> Yeah. Not
0: at all.
1: It actually masks the problem.
0: Yeah,
1: Um, The endometriosis will continue. The endometrium will still thicken. It will still find a way to spread itself onto your other organs. And the worst part about it is that you won't feel the pain that's triggering you to do something about it. So I can't tell you how many times... I have had to explain my pain while being on heavily sed- like while being heavily sedated because the first thing they do is put you on drugs when you walk into the emergency room and then I can't even explain what I'm feeling. The pain is important. The pain is the message. The pain is the your body telling you this is what is happening and you need to understand it if you want to heal it. Mm. And that's what I just keep telling people is like, don't be afraid of it because where you, where you feel your pain, when you feel your pain, what triggers your pain, what foods triggers your pain, what foods help your pain are all relevant to your treatment. And it's going to be completely unique to you because where the lesions have ended up in your body is also unique to you. Right. No two
0: endometriosis look the same. Absolutely. Cause it sounds like, I mean, it could impact anything. And so it really yeah. just depends on the trajectory of your life and your patterns and
1: yeah, it's mm. been found in lungs, it's been found in brains, it's been found in babies, it's been found in many oh. places other than women trying to give birth. And that's the other thing. The statistics show that it's common in women in their reproductive years, mm-hmm. specifically in their late 20s and early 30s. And that's what you'll read if you Google it. That's what you'll read. That's mm. not true. That's mm. just when the doctors that's are when finding that they get diagnosed. Really yeah really mm. yeah. So, um, you know, there's this is a subject that could go on and on and on and on and on. But the most important thing that I want women to take away from this is pain is not normal. Mm-hmm. Pain is important to listen to because your pain is your message board to how you're going to listen, how you're going to be able to hear your body and ch- make changes. Mm-hmm. And then health care needs to shift. We need real health care, not sick care. We need preventative ways of looking at this disease from a young age, educating women about their bodies, educating women how to tell their stories, educating women how to talk to their doctors, and then most importantly, educating doctors as to how to properly diagnose, properly see endometriosis lesions and get honestly their heads out of their asses. Because that's the situation is we have so many doctors that think that they know what they're talking about that they're not even willing to read the research on the last ten years. Like even my doctor, I love her. She's amazing. She cut She cut all the endometriosis out of my body. She excised all the Mm endometriosis. But she still doesn't understand how the fascia is pulling on the rest of my body, how the fascia is pulling on my hips, how it's radiating down my legs because she doesn't understand the fascia. She's Mm -hmm. never seen it. And -hmm. I talk to her about that openly. And she is willing to have a conversation with me because her head is not stuck in her ass. But there's doctors out there who you bring up the word fascia and they're like, what? Or you bring up Reiki and they're like, what? Like she encourages <laughs> me to do Reiki. She encourages me to go my diet. She encourages me to have conversations. I bring her books. She reads them. I mean, that's what we need. Yeah. We really need an overhaul. Well, we need that two-way conversation
0: because you are speaking from a place of, honestly, a desperation of, of having gone through it all and, and not feeling like you were listened to and feeling like you had no other choice but to educate and empower yourself.
1: Yes. And there are so many women like me. I, I now have a stack of like nine books on my bedside table that are all written by women like me. And when I read their stories, it's like I'm listening to myself. Like the amount of dismissal and the symptoms that just kept coming up over and over and over again that are just deemed a woman's problem and nothing more than that is astounding because when we look at it, realistically, and we actually look at the patients that have been diagnosed and how they've recovered versus the patients that haven't been diagnosed and that have been gotten, gotten progressively worse and led to God knows what else, mm-hmm. you, you see why, what the, how important it is that we actually get ahead of this and admit that it's a massive disease that's larger than a lot of cancers combined. One in 10 women, 200 million women worldwide, And let's not even talk about the the other countries that don't have any health care at all. The the countries that are still developing and whose women may even be in situations where they can't even express themselves and are considered property. You know, this is a, a big phenomenon that is affecting women worldwide. And there is a cause for it, I believe very, very strongly that it's because of the toxins that we're ingesting. And mm-hmm. I think that it starts with, not just a woman while she, when she's alive, but I think it starts in utero.
0: And more and more we know that, especially on a trauma perspective, that, that that does happen. I mean, trauma gets passed down generational lines, so why wouldn't other things?
1: Yes, and that's actually the most interesting thing that I've read, I'm glad that you said that. Mm-hmm. Um, there's been studies that have been done over the years the most notable of which was done on monkeys and it's kind of messed up what this guy did, but also like it really tells you a clear image of the detriment that we can do with trauma alone. So, um, can't remember his name off the top of my head, but this guy, um, decided to, uh, separate a litter of monkeys. I don't know if that's what you call them, but the babies of, of a Mm -hmm. monkey mom from, from their monkey mother. And Separated them into two groups left half of the babies with their mother and then separated the other half and um, Had them completely nourished like fed them to give, give everything that they needed on a physiological level But no physical touch no connection no loving support from their mother and These monkeys were fine on a physiological level you could test everything on them and they every test came back fine but on a mental level They started to develop like all these little ticks and, um, you know, weird rocking back and forth, coping mechanisms, um, variety of different things, but physiologically they were fine. And then he proceeded to get those monkeys pregnant. So then he Mm. had those babies be delivered and he didn't separate them from their mother. Um, he let the, the, basically motherless mothers is what he called them be with the mother. So that mother didn't have a mother, but he let the monkeys stay with that mother anyways. The things that happened were just atrocious, so some of the monkeys ate their babies um, the The amount of trauma that continued, the resentment that continued because they were motherless mothers was just inflicted upon the next generation and the weirdest part of all of it was those babies developed physiological symptoms mm. and autoimmune disorders. Wow, so that study has been repeated among among other. Species, um, I think mice, they did it in mice.
0: Yeah, there's one they did with mice where they scared, they, they made the, the first generation of mice afraid of something somehow. And uh-huh. then the babies were still afraid of it, even though they were never exposed to it as a fear. It just got uh-huh. ingrained in their DNA, which is really... Epigenetics. Yeah, it's incredible.
1: Yes. Wow. So that's the entire field of epigenetics that's only emerged in the last 10 years. Right. So that gets back to like this idea of like if we can address this trauma. And if we can all look at our bodies and our cycles and love our cycles and find it like a newfound admiration for the female system and the female body and respect, then I think that that would ripple out. I mean, look at what we're doing to our great mother, our mother earth. Like Mm -hmm. there, it's, it's no surprise to me that the first thing that responds is our, the uteruses, you know, the uteruses of the world are screaming out revolting and (laughs) revolting. What are we doing? Yeah. Um, And so I do think that there there is more than just a physiological component. I do think there's a deeply spiritual component. Mm. I do think that there's um, a deeply traumatic component. Um, And as you mentioned, like I experienced a lot of generational trauma from from a young age, my Mm. family came from Bulgaria, which is a post Soviet country or post communist country wasn't a part of the Soviet Union, but it was a communist country. And we Experienced all sorts of crazy things um, in that culture that I personally didn't see with my own two eyes. But I grew up learning about all of it. I grew up with stories of things that happened to my mom while she was growing up in a small town where, if her skirt went above her knee, she got a red stamp, and then if that happened more than once, she like couldn't leave her house for a week. Oh. Um, you know, a variety of different things that are personal infringements on her liberty as a woman, as a human being. That. Certainly, just hearing those stories trickle down to me, and that's not even the worst of it. That's like you know a very light version of things that she experienced that were passed down to me, um, and you know now that continues. I I lost my own father to the trauma that is continuing in those parts of the country. Mm-hmm. Many 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 people like my father have been murdered in, the, in those countries because they are achieving financial wealth, and there is still trauma that lives in that country that looks at it as something that should be eradicated. And so these things, they live on. That's what I'm trying to say. Mm -hmm. And there's no way that we can actually address any of our problems unless we look at our collective systems that are allowing these traumas to propagate, to continue. Like Big Pharma and all these pesticides that we're spraying on all of our food, these people who operate these systems make so much money off of poisoning us that they have zero incentive to study the things that poison us so that they can prove to us that they're killing us, so that we can then revolt. Why would they do that? Right. We, have to revolt. we have to stand up and say no more. We have to stop buying that shit. We have to actually educate our people and spread the message as far and wide as we can, and that's happening. Social media has allowed that to happen, and we are definitely getting our voices heard, But it needs to be bigger than that. We need to be really, really willing to have difficult conversations in settings where we might not be willing to have them otherwise, such as the yoga room, such as our family dining table, where once these things were taboo, they are now what's actually going to save us and what's going to reverse this whole process.
0: And even in in the room with your doctor, as you mentioned, you know, bringing up where their, you know, where their education gaps are and asking them to, to fill, you know, to bridge that gap.
1: Yeah. Yep, that's exactly uh, right. Well, I really
0: appreciate you speaking up. Um, I'm going to link all the ways that you can get in contact with Paula, all, all the wonderful things she's doing in the wellness world. In addition, um, the blogs that she's written about her surgery and her recovery. And um, that's what triggered me to ask her to, to speak on this. And I just really appreciate your willingness and your education. And I feel as if we could have a whole nother uh, discussion about the healing aspect I know we did go into it but it sounds like there's so much more that's involved oh
1: yeah um, so there's so much more yeah
0: we may want to do that because I'll, I'll wrap us up for today but um, I'm, I'm more than willing to revisit because I'm, I'm sure that this is going to reach far and wide and people will likely have more questions so um, yeah absolutely to, to re reconnect um, is there anything else that you want to just put out there before we wrap up
1: Anything that didn't get said? Oh my. I mean, there's so much that can be said. I just think that if, you know if if you're if you're listening to this and you relate on any level, if you've experienced any any moment in your life where you were dismissed or um, your voice wasn't heard or your feelings weren't validated or you didn't receive the support and the care and the love that you absolutely deserve, just know that you do deserve better, and that ultimately the only person that can give you all the love in the world that you deserve is yourself mm-hmm. 5 minutes every morning deep belly breaths just remind your nervous system that you're a miracle and that you are here for a reason it goes a really 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 long way
0: and that's a beautiful way to end
1: hmm i love that
0: i do like to ask just a couple fun questions um what is your favorite yoga pose Paula
1: Mm. Lately, it's been goddess stance, I think, because I've been trying to embody my inner goddess a little bit more. My mantra has been I am valuable. Mm. Um, And this, you know, goes back again to my childhood. Mm -hmm. Um, I need to remember how valuable I am every single day, because there have been so many moments in my life where, whether it be my doctors or my parents or whoever, Mm -hmm. where I've been made to feel unvaluable. And I think that this is a common thing that women struggle with. I see a lot of women who attach their value to um, their partner or their role as a mother, all these different things that are like societally um, dictated by us. Mm -hmm. And a true goddess stands alone, you know, and Mm -hmm. there's nothing that you need in order to own who you are um, and how valuable you truly are. Nice.
0: You mentioned a couple about healing period stuff, but is there another book that changed your life? Mm,
1: uh, Yes. Uh, Ask Me About My Uterus by Abby Norman was amazing. Okay, Um, I really related to her on a story level. I felt that while our lives were vastly, vastly different um, in many ways, um, the through line of um, certain aspects of the relationship with her mother. Um, and again, those, those ideas of not being validated, heard or valued um, really rang true to me. And a lot of women who I know personally that suffer with disease have, this disease have similar um, relationships with their maternal lineage. So I, I find that really interesting. And then the other book that um, I would definitely recommend if anybody is pinged by this idea of the ancestral trauma of the Generational trauma that gets passed down through our bodies um, is it didn't start with you. Mm. Um, Mark Wolman, I think, is his name. I don't have it in front of me. Definitely his first name is Mark. Yeah, I'll find it. Yeah, it didn't start with you. And this book is about epigenetics. It's about how um, our experiences of our grandmother and our grandfather actually do get passed down genetically, and how our bodies and our chronic diseases and our autoimmune disorders and all these things that we think are just. Quote unquote genetic, they actually are a little bit more spiritual than genetic. And that, in the sense where the experiences that our great grandmother had while she was pregnant with our grandmother literally affect the genes that we have today because the eggs that you have in your body formed in your grandmother's body. Right. Yeah. Yeah, That's such a trippy concept. I know it is. It's (laughs) mind blowing. It's really, really mind blowing. And so for me, I don't know my grandmother. My mom was adopted um, by a nurse in communism. So there was no record of adoption. Like, there's no way for me to find her, mm. but we do know that she was a Greek gypsy. She lived on the street and she delivered my mom. She was 16 years old and her adopted mother, my adoptive grandmother took her in. And so I don't really know what, where my like what my eggs went
0: through, you know, three mm-hmm, generations mm-hmm.
1: back. But I can imagine. I can imagine what this woman must have felt and what she must have gone through, you know, post World War II. I can I can at least have a general image of this person and I can send them my love and I can say blessings and I can offer support and breath and sympathy and forgiveness for letting go of my mom, even though I wouldn't have the life today that I have if she hadn't, you know, there are a lot of different ideas come up when we look back in our ancestral lineage of things that we might've done differently or whatever. And mm-hmm. at the end of the day, we can't really change what happened, but we can change how we look back towards it. And we can send this distance healing. And part of that is my experience as a Reiki master. Part of that is my experience with energy and crystals and all this stuff that I can I know deeply this material realm is just the the tip of the iceberg and we actually have access to to so much wisdom and so much information that's encoded in ourselves encoded in our nature and we can communicate with it on a on a plane that maybe our mind can't understand but our body clearly does because it's holding on to something like if we have all these diseases and all these traumas and all these things manifesting chronically we can have just as much of an effect um, on our body positively. And that's the conversation that I think that we can definitely go way, way deeper in terms of healing next time, hopefully.
0: Yeah, I like it. I think, I think we should definitely um, put it on the calendar to revisit. Um, I, but I really appreciate just starting the conversation specifically on the endometriosis, but all of this intergenerational healing And epigenetic stuff goes deep for for so many other things that people might be dealing with right now.
1: Yes, absolutely.
0: I I think that this will give people a lot to to mull over and chew on and hopefully take out into the world and to their doctor's offices or to their uh, dining room tables if this is an issue that is impacting you, um, either the women's health or just intergenerational stuff that's going on um, it's, it's all, it's all connected. I mean, just like all of your symptoms and everything was connected, your own body and your own system, all of this, um, is connected, the healing aspects and, uh, waking up the society and our systems. And, um, it's, wow, it's, it's big, but it's all connected and we have to start somewhere. Yeah.
1: And just start with compassion, really start, you know, be willing to listen. And even my little brother who is very conservative and, We've had lots of like head-to-head arguments. Mm. Even he, for the first time in years, is able to hear me um, about all my concerns with the healthcare system. And mm. he actually watched the Democratic debates and um, he was able to understand in a whole new way because he sees firsthand what I've had to go through with our healthcare system and it's opened his eyes. And so I do think that by by taking the time to be more forthright with what we're experiencing and not be afraid of what others might respond with um, is really important. And listening to each other, you know, so listen when people talk and have compassion and be willing to have the challenging conversations because it goes a really, really long way.
0: Yeah, and bless your brother for coming around. But quite honestly, people shouldn't have to have a firsthand experience of a loved one having to go through something so fucked up (laughs) to believe it
1: he said that too so yeah it's unfortunate but that's that is the system that we've created this is another Mm. symptom of that same same system that is you know a sick care system not a health care system it's another system of that everything in retrospect everything is 2020 when we we see it in retrospect right but we need to be looking forwards and we need to be looking preventatively like what, what can we do on a fundamental causal level mm. to bring more compassion, more hope, more love, more perspective to the dialogue, open mindedness, open heartedness, all those things?
0: Well, I wish you continued healing. Thank you. And you are a force to be reckoned with because if you're six weeks post-surgery, still not at your best, and <laughs> you know, you've got that fiery passion, and I'm so grateful that it's going out into the world and it does create a ripple effect, I, I 100% believe that. So um, we get you back to feeling better than you've ever felt before, and who knows what will happen. <laughs>
1: What will happen is we're going to finally have our rights on the Constitution, because did you know that our rights as women are legislative? They are not in the Constitution. So that is my 10 year goal. All right, let's put it it out there. So it is. Yeah, I mean, it's just it's ridiculous. The minute I learned that I was like, are you fucking kidding me? (laughs) So, um, yeah, sorry for the cursing. I just think in that case it's important. <laughs> no, sometimes
0: uh, a well-placed F-bomb is 100% necessary.
1: Yep, and in this case, yes, it is an actual WTF. So yeah. uh, mm-hmm. I hope that if you're just hearing that for the first time, it makes you just as passionate as I am because we really, we really need to elevate the dialogue around women's health and overall mm-hmm. health of our Mother Earth, our planet, and let that ripple out. Yes.
0: Well, thanks, Paula. Have a restful Sunday, and I will make sure everyone can connect with you in all the different ways uh, when they link to the podcast. And if you're listening and this is triggering anything in you, please go have more discussions with healthcare professionals and we'll make sure we have some other resources linked. Um, Maybe Paula, you can send me an email with the best kind of social media website type things that people could do some of their own research if they really felt like um, diving deep um, in addition to the books you mentioned. So
1: yes, absolutely. I'll send over everything that I've been following and reading and perfect. You can add that to your show notes. Yeah.
0: Yeah, I'll put a resource thing together so that people can really get started if they need to. So, Yay, well, thanks right. again. Yeah, this is wonderful. I really appreciate your time.
1: Thank you so much. And I look forward to many more conversations. This blog that I just started is on its way to a full book. Ooh, so nice. one day we can talk about that. <gasps> healing I <look> period. <laughs> I look forward to it. <laughs> oh, well, thank you so much. I'll okay. talk to you again soon. Sounds good. Bye-bye. Bye bye. Bye.